Good morning. Man, what a fantastic service today. I am so glad to be able to gather with other believers to sing and to celebrate. What an incredible truth to be redeemed. I'm not who I used to be. Wow. The freedom of the breaking of the chains. If you've ever experienced it, wow. If you're experiencing it now, wow. We have such an incredible God, and I am so thankful for Jesus Christ in my life. It is hard just to even, not just hear the song, but just emotionally become amazed by what God has done in your life. And so I am so thankful for the chance and the opportunity to worship. I want to say thank you to many of you who have been praying with me on, with my grandmother, my grandmother Ruth Marion. Um, in 2009, she uh, was diagnosed with cancer. She went through the treatments, had a, a brief um, recess, and then she started back up just about uh, 10 months ago, about a year ago. Um, it came back in seven different spots. The cancer came back, and so we've been praying. She's been going through the chemo, and this past week, she received the word that um, those seven spots are now gone, and that's an a testament to God, right? I am so thankful for the medical research. I'm thankful for the doctors, but as my grandmother said, it is amazing that God is still in the miracle working business and he answers prayer. And so I want to say thank you to you. She asked me to pass it on to you um, for praying with us. Um, yesterday, I called her and got to celebrate with her. Um, yesterday was her and Papa's 62nd wedding anniversary. And so we got to celebrate that. So they had a great weekend, great news, and then great celebration. So I am so thankful for your prayers and partnering with us on that. I'm going to ask that you would pray again for us. Um, as well, this next week, um, we, what we have been doing for the past two years, we've been celebrating and, and working with and partnering with a group out of um, Africa. If you notice on the back of the bulletins, every um, week we have posted how much has been come, coming in and what we've been giving to for Africa. Many of you ladies have some of the jewelry and the purses that have been purchased um, by when we support. We have some ladies over in Nairobi in the slums right outside of Nairobi, Kenya, um, some of those ladies have received um, financial help to actually start micro loans where they pay it back. They start a new business and able to help their families get out of poverty. We've been working with them. We've been working with the feeding centers over there. There's a church over there, a church plant. There's also a school in which in that school last year, Vacation Bible School, our kids raised over $800 for that school and we bought desk for that school over there in Nairobi, Kenya. And so this next week, um, it's the first time in my ministry that I've ever not been um, in my own church on Father's Day or a special day, but next week I will be preaching over in Nairobi at the place that we have been uh, sponsoring and working with the past two years. And the goal is that when I come back, we're going to be setting up a trip. We'll have a trip set up for next year. So many of you have been asking about going over to Africa to see the works that we've been doing and what we've been sponsoring. And so um, I'll be setting that up. And so many of you can start planning those trips um, and be ready for that. We'll have that information for you in July when I get back and when we get that taken care of. I would ask that you would pray for me as we go over. One of the things that I have to do, one of the biggest challenges is that I have to prepare a message for only 20 minutes. 
I don't know if it's possible, but they said 20 minutes, Heath. If that way, it allows the interpreter to have the other 20 minutes to repeat what you're saying so that it actually ends up being 40 minutes. But that's an incredibly tough challenge just to speak for 20 minutes. So if you would pray for me. And one other thing, I am going to be taking my oldest daughter. She just turned 13 in April. Um, I wanted to take this experience and not just be by myself. And so my oldest daughter, Abby, was going to be traveling with me. Um, it's her first exposure to, uh, it's going to be her first exposure to um, some mission work like this and also some extreme poverty. And so I'm praying and I'm asking that you would pray with me that God does a work in her life and in my life as we get to do this and we get to do this together. So I'd ask for your prayers. All right, one last thing. Um, Vacation Bible School, you noticed the setup. You notice the classrooms, you notice the halls. It's a little bit different. This is not normal, but we're going to put up some stuff here on the the screens. How many of you have uh, ridden a roller coaster in the past six months? Anybody? All right, good. Well, what we have done is this. We want you to be able to experience riding a roller coaster. And the idea and the theme behind Vacation Bible School is a roller coaster theme. And so you're going to have roller coasters going on. um, And we're going to be doing a lot of different things along with our decorations. And we want to help celebrate by putting you on a roller coaster this morning. If you're prone to get sick, look down. All right, so you're going up. Is anybody's heart racing yet? Okay, hands up, hands up. Here we go, hands up. Here we go. Don't throw up. Don't throw up. Don't get too scared. If you're scared, just jump off. You'll be okay. All right, so here we go. Yeah. (laughs) All right, there's the loop. Are you sick yet? All right, very good. Well, guys, we're doing Vacation Bible School, and I just want to challenge you and encourage you. This week, we're going to be having a lot of fun. There's going to be a lot of excitement. It gives us a chance as a church to be able to interact with a lot of different families and a lot of different young people. And I would ask that you would pray. Here's what I believe. I believe that nothing spiritual of God happens outside of the prayer of God's people. It's our turn. It's our chance to make sure we come alongside and we pray and ask God to show up and ask God to move. We're asking for salvations. We do not push salvations for those in second grade and down. It's just my personal ministry preference. I would rather the kids make sure they really understand what's going on. Um, So we really, we encourage our teachers to talk about loving God. But third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, and sixth grade, we're going to have a lot of those students. And many of them uh, maybe never trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, so we're asking for salvations. If you have a chance, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, please swing by. Come by this evening. We'd love to see you help out. If you can help out for only one night, you swing by. We'll put you to work. We'll put you doing something. Maybe your best talent and your best gift is just loving on kids. We need some help on just loving on kids and just coming around and doing some of those things. So we'd love to see you come out, all right? If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you turn to Malachi, Malachi chapter 4. We have been in a series called The Heart of Parenting. The Hearts of Parenting. And over the last few weeks, we've talked through several different ideas. We've walked through the idea of why the heart matters. And we looked at the understanding out of Proverbs, how the Bible says that from the heart, to guard the heart, because out of it flow all the issues of life. Everything comes out of the heart. Matthew, in the book of Matthew, Jesus talks about how that the mouth speaks from the abundance of the heart and how the heart is actually crucial and key. We talked about how to set the heart's direction, that as a parent, it is your job and your responsibility to guide and to direct the heart of your child and to send it a certain way, not just to send it to your dreams and your goals, but to send your child's heart towards God and set that direction. We talked about how to do that. Then we walked through, last week we talked about what it 
responsibility you have as a parent and what responsibility your child has as a child and what the responsibilities are given to us by God. And we walk through those responsibilities. And today, here's what we're going to talk about. Communicating heart to heart. How do you communicate? Can you actually communicate to your child's heart? What if you've lost your child and your child is out and about and no longer are they in the home? Maybe they're prodigals, maybe they're running away and they don't even really wanna talk to you. Can you gain and capture the heart of your child? Can you communicate to their heart? Can they communicate towards you? If at any point in time in history, as a church, as an American church, as an American society, we need to know and to learn how to communicate heart to heart. I'm gonna give you some current statistics. Usually I don't give you a lot of statistics because most of the time we don't remember them. But I want to set up the trouble that we have right now when parents and children no longer communicate heart to heart. When parents don't like their kids, when kids don't like their parents, communication stops. So let me give you just a few statistics. This comes from the U.S. Department of Health. 63% of all youth suicides are from fatherless homes, 63%. 90% of all homeless children are from fatherless homes. The Center for Disease Control says this, 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. The Justice and Behavior Magazine, volume 14, says this, 80% of all rapists and Anger problems come from kids whose fathers were not present. The National Principals Association report says this, 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. U.S. Department of Justice, 70% of youth in state-operated institutes come from fatherless homes. The Texas Department of Correction says 85%, 85% of all youth in prison come from fatherless homes. If you have a daughter, listen to these stats. Daughters of single parents without a father are 53% more likely to marry as teenagers. Daughters without a father, 711% more likely to have children as teenagers. more likely to have a premarital birth, and daughters of single parents without a father, 92% more likely to get divorced themselves. I'm hoping to create a stir within your heart that at this point in time, in this point in history, what we need more than anything else is we need hearts to begin to turn back to kids and kids' hearts to turn back to their fathers. And in Malachi chapter four, you're gonna read a statement. This is a prophet speaking, and it's very strange to go to an Old Testament prophet to speak about parenting. But you're gonna read words that close the Old Testament, and for 400 years, there's not gonna be any other words said. God has not spoken for 400 years after this point. That's a long time. If you were going to be silent and your last word spoken, do you not think that those would be important words? And Malachi gives a promise of hope and he gives a promise of something exciting to happen. Malachi chapter four, would you stand for the reading of God's word? 
Malachi chapter 4. We're going to go down to verse 5, and here's what it says. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Let me read verse 6 again. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day and I thank you for your blessings. I thank you for the chance and the opportunity to sing praise to your holy name. I am thankful for the believers who gathered here today. I'm asking now that your Holy Spirit would have freedom to work. I pray that we would be ready to hear, to listen. Open our ears so that, Father, you would speak into our lives exactly where we need you to speak. And, Father, I'm asking that you would give us the courage to apply to our lives what we need to do today when we walk out of here. Heavenly Father, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So Malachi starts off and he says, there's a prophet who's going to come, Elijah. He's going to come. Now, Elijah had already come. He had already gone. And now at this point, there's a new prophet that's going to come. And now it's 400 years later, and that new prophet, the one who fulfills, is John the Baptist. He comes speaking with the power of Elijah. And as he speaks, he gives a message of what? The message of redemption. The message of forgiveness. And as he begins to share, he becomes the forerunner of where redemption really can take place. And that's Jesus Christ. He introduces Jesus Christ into the picture. And here's where we have to start and here's what we have to understand. That in the next few moments, I'm going to share four principles of communicating heart to heart. But if you take these principles and you try just to apply them to your life and you just try to live them out, all you have done is truly just changed your behavior. You've just changed the way in which you act, but nothing supernatural has taken place. And my goal and your goal should be today is this, to actually see the hearts of your children begin to turn towards you and for your heart to begin to turn towards your child's. And it is a supernatural movement that it only occurs through redemption and through the cross of Jesus Christ. It will not be able to take place in your own life on your own power. It requires the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, and it requires the work of the Holy Spirit in your family's life. The reason I say that is because I know there are many, even in this room, when you begin to think about communicating heart to heart, you're sitting back and going, man, I, if, I, if I would have only known, and you look at your, your kids, and you're sitting back, and there's maybe even some in this room who are dealing with prodigal sons, prodigal daughters, or prodigal grandkids, And the question becomes, how do I begin to communicate to them so that they want to come back to me? How do I begin to communicate so that I actually want to go towards them? Can I do this? And the answer is, on your own power, you cannot. And they will not return by just sheer willpower. As hard as it is to see a family member who runs from God, willpower alone will not fix this. It's going to take the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's going to take the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. 
allowing you to communicate heart to heart. So please don't take these next few minutes and these principles that I wanna share and think that if I just do better, this is all gonna work out. It's gonna take a work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Malachi's saying. It's the work of God. Through the redemption of Jesus Christ gonna be proclaimed through the new prophet Elijah. And that was John the Baptist in redemption. So if you understand that basis, we can now move to the next step. How do you communicate heart to heart? Can it be done? The answer is yes, and here's how it starts. It starts first with God honoring communication. God honoring communication. Not self-exalting communication, but God honoring communication. If you do a quick study and you do a quick reference in Google search, you could begin to find all kinds of scriptures laid out for us on how to communicate back and forth and how to use our words and our actions correctly. So here's what I've done. I've created a list of self-honoring communication, 10, and 10 God-honoring communications. And the reason I've done this is not to show um, my skill at just going through the word of God, because there's so many more that can be here. It's not an exhaustive list. But here's what I would like to do. I would like to create an illusion for you, an illustration for you, so that you understand and you see a checklist to say, wow, look at the self-honoring communication styles that I have going on in my life, or look at the God-honoring, and you can begin to look at the two lists, and you can begin to see how you're measuring up. And let me be clear, on the self-honoring, you're not gonna really have to work that hard. You don't even really have to think about it. You just can do it naturally, but when it comes to the God honoring, it's gonna take the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to see these 10. So here's what I'm gonna do. Let me give you these 10. We'll put them down. The self-honoring, here's your list of 10. Again, this is not exhaustive. You can find many more, but I just wanted to walk through these very quickly. Self-honoring. You know the self-honoring communication is happening in your life or in your home when you have an angry countenance. Do you remember Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter four? God comes to Cain and says, why is your countenance or your face fallen? If you've ever been around somebody who gets frustrated and as they get frustrated, you can tell very quickly by either their veins start popping or the red face. You can tell by their countenance, can't you? Self-honoring. Number two, harsh words. Harsh words. The raising of the voice, Proverbs 15, one. Inattentiveness. Not paying attention, Proverbs 18, two. Interrupting. You ever been around somebody who interrupts? They don't let you finish? Don't look at the person next to you. That's not what you're supposed to do. Interrupting. What about manipulation and pouting? Proverbs 26, four through five. How about the rolling of eyes and smirking? Anybody have a smirk? And the more you smirk, the more aggravating you become to the other person and you know it and it's fun. Corrupt. Ephesians 4, 29 says, don't let any corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Lying, Ephesians 4, 25. Disrespectful, Ephesians 6, 2. Destructive, James 3 through 8, where you curse and it causes like a forest fire of destruction behind. 
That's self-honoring communication. And you could take that list and you can simply start looking through how are, how's the communication going in your home? How are you doing? How are your kids doing? How are your grandkids doing? And you could see how you're playing this out. So if you wanna move to God-honoring communication, let me give you a list of 10. And again, this is gonna take work. And this is actually the work of the Holy Spirit in your life because you won't be able to do it just on your own. 10 things, real, real quick, here it is. Acceptable ver- words, Proverbs 10 and verse 32. Acceptable words would be like this. Um, you think it's acceptable for me not to have spiky hair. So you come up to me and you say, Heath, I don't like your spiky hair. You shouldn't have it because you're a pastor. Now, in your mind, that's acceptable. And in my mind, I would say, you're a jerk, right? But I would smile at you. Thank you. That's acceptable. Is it acceptable to the person who's actually hearing it? Okay, does that make sense? Okay, acceptable. Gentle answer, Proverbs 15, 1. A gentle answer turns away what? Good job. Wise, wise words, Proverbs 15, 28. Kind words, Proverbs 16, 21. Healing words, healing words, Proverbs 16, 24. I like the healing word idea because this is where if you would take like a, a picture, a picture of water and you have a glass and you pour the, the water into the glass and you fill it up, it's the idea of pouring liquid courage into someone's life, healing, giving them strength to go on, the healing words. Strong words, Proverbs 18, 23. Just because you're God, using God-honoring communication doesn't mean that you don't have the hard conversations when somebody is maybe stepping out of line and you have those conversations saying, hey, wait a minute, I love you, you're hurting me or you're hurting yourself and you still have to have those strong conversations but you do it in a way in which in the seventh one it says soft. You do it with gentleness. Number eight, forgiving words. One of the hardest things for us to do is forgive, especially when somebody's violated our rights, especially when they've done us wrong but to forgive as we've been forgiven. Colossians 4, 6, that our words are to be seasoned with grace. Wow. Like we salt every conversation with grace from the God, not from us. James 3, 2, control, that we are to be in control of our words. You see the two lists. The list I give you just to help, you put them side by side and you begin to say, where are we leaning? What direction are we leading? Is the Holy Spirit present in our home? How are we doing? And I think it's very helpful. You wanna communicate and you wanna begin communicating to the heart and you want your kids to begin communicating to your heart. It's gonna start with God honoring conversations. Number two, number two, engaging in dynamic conversations. To communicate heart to heart, it's gonna require engaging in dynamic conversations. Proverbs 23 and verse 26 says this. Give me your heart, my son. Give me your heart, my daughter. And let your eyes delight in my ways. Can you imagine saying that's written so poetically, beautifully? Give me your heart. I want your heart. I will give you my heart. I want you to listen. I want you to to like what I'm doing and what I'm showing you. Dynamic conversation versus static conversation. Static conversation is when it's a one-way street, when it's a one-way conversation. And parents, we get really good at this type of conversation, don't we? Where we say all the things, where we say all the good things, and we're saying it, we're saying it, we're saying it, and the only words being said is our words. But dynamic conversation begins to happen when you say, okay, I want to give you my heart, and I want you to give you, 
I want you to give me your heart. So here's what's gonna have to take place. It's gonna have to take two forms of communication. Them communicating to you and you communicating to, to them, which is gonna require you to listen, to ask questions, and to laugh and enjoy time together. Listening. God has so created little kids with the art of asking why. You can get worn out with the whys, can't you? Why is the sky blue? Well, that's just how it is. Why is the, sky, why is the water, why is there fish in the water? Well, I don't know. Why, 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 why? And you answer seven times and finally you get tired. And God created it so it causes you, watch this, God has so orchestrated as a little child, they're asking questions and they're trying to engage you. And, but here's our problem. We are busy. We're tired. We have sports center that needs to be watched. We have the Rangers that are playing. We have work that still needs to be done in the evening. And those little whys become annoying and we get frustrated with them and we stop answering. Grandparents, parents alike, Those little hearts, as they ask questions, they're inviting you into a dynamic conversation. And what we fail to do is to capitalize and leverage that for good conversation. And as they begin to grow, as they begin to grow, the questions get less and less. And before long, we find as parents or grandparents, Our role has now changed, and now we begin to ask questions, and what's the response? Very similar to how we responded when they were kids. How was your day? It was all right, and off they go. What happened today? Nothing, just a normal day, and they walk off. And there's no longer conversation, and as they get older, Parents, it's your job to find the ways to engage in dynamic conversations. You have to ask the questions. You have to start when they're little and you have to continue to ask the questions. What did you like today? What was your favorite thing about today? What was your favorite thing at school? What was the thing that you didn't like the most? What happened? Tell me about your friends. I don't have any friends. No, you have friends. Who do you talk to? Who do you interact with? And you have to become purposefully engaging in the conversation by asking questions. And the biggest problem we have is that we're tired and we don't feel like it. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard because we're tired and there's other things. And honestly, it's hard to even think that that conversation is that important because all you're talking about is a booger being flicked. All you're talking about is a crayon that got shoved somewhere that it shouldn't have got shoved. And you're talking about all kinds of weird stuff and you really don't care. You're talking about Super Mario or you're talking about blowing something up on the Xbox. I mean, you're talking about stuff you don't care about, right? But it matters to them. But it matters to them. And it's your job to create the dynamic conversations. Now watch, I did this for fun. Okay, Um, do we have any graduates in the room? Anybody who graduated this last year? Okay, good, very good. Okay, 2013 graduates, listen to this. I found this, and I found this very intriguing. Just a little bit of tidbits and facts about the 2013 graduates. They have never owned a cassette tape player. Seriously? I mean, the joy of just pulling out the tape alone, you've got to try that once. 
They've never owned a cassette tape player. Okay, now here's another one. They don't remember life without a personal computer. Isn't that wild? They don't remember life without cell phones. Hello, I remember the back phones when they came out. That was so cool. I mean, you're carrying it along, and, and mom and dad are saying, hey, don't call long distance because that's gonna cost me an arm and a leg. But if you're in an emergency, you can call. They don't remember life without cell phones. Okay, do you remember the Disney Toy Story, Toy Story movie? They don't remember life before that. That's wild, Toy Story. They don't remember life before Toy Story. What about this one? They don't remember when MTV actually played music videos. <laughs> That's how it started. Okay, TV. Uh, they don't remember television before reality TV. Wow. This is as good as it gets for them. Reality TV. And then the last one is this. They've never received the Sears catalog in the mail. Eh. <laughs> Do you remember like Christmas time when you actually got to circle all the things? I mean, you're just like, here you go. My grandparents and my great grandparents would say, here's the catalog. And you'd have to go through and you could circle five things and you put your initials by it and you hope that one of those things would come. And you just waited for it in the mail. And it was like, yes, this is going to be exciting. And you're waiting and you're checking the grandparents' mailbox just to see if you're, th- oh, it's fantastic. Sears catalog, never even heard of it. If you're going to engage and communicate heart to heart, you're going to have to ask questions about what they like, not about what you like. And you're gonna have to engage in the conversation in conversations that you might not even ever care about again, but you care about it because they care about it. Okay, number three. We're gonna engage in dynamic conversations. We're gonna communicate with God-honoring ways. And then the last, or the third one is this. We need to satisfy basic needs. If you're gonna communicate heart to heart, you have to satisfy basic needs. Now, this sounds like I'm going really crazy into psychology, but listen to me. Here's, here's what I found very intriguing. Mark chapter 1, verse 11. Jesus has just been baptized, and the heavens open up, and as he comes up out of the water, the heavenly Father, God himself, speaks, and here's what he says. You are my beloved son, in whom I'm what? In whom I am well pleased. This fascinates me. Because if you're going to communicate heart to heart, those basic human needs of love, acceptance, belonging, and purpose must be communicated by you as a parent, by you as a grandparent. Love, acceptance, belonging, purpose. The heavenly father opens up heaven and he begins to shout out and says, I am proud of my boy. That's him. I am, you're doing a great job. Good job. You're on track. You're fulfilling your purpose. You're fulfilling your mission. Good job. Way to go. I'm with you. Love, acceptance, belonging, mission, purpose. Your kids, my kids, my kids, Your grandkids, they need to hear that they are loved, that God has created them with a purpose, and that they have something to fulfill and to do. I have four kids, three girls and a a young, young kindergarten boy. He just finished that. And this is a conversation that comes up over and over again. Why? Because I need them to understand that I am proud of them. They belong to me, and I am so glad they belong to me. But now here's what we have to do. Because I have girls... One of the major conversation has to be, and it comes up over and over again. Honey, 
You have freckles, and I love those freckles. I love your curls. I love your straight hair. God has made you unique. God has made you with a purpose. I love the fact that you can draw. I love the fact that you can actually, you, you can play ball. I love this. I love this about you. And what am I trying to do? I want them to understand that they're loved and they're accepted as they are because God created them that way so that they have a purpose in life to fulfill. Because what happens is this, is as they begin to grow, they begin to communicate to themselves and the world begins to communicate. If you don't look like this magazine, if you don't look like this actress, then you don't matter in life. And I want them to know that they matter because God has made them important. God has made them with value and that their dad and their mom love them. My son needs to hear, son, you're tall, you're big, but just because you're tall and big and you're strong and you can do good things, that means that you are to be a protector, that it's your job, even though you have strength to find the people who are the weakest and you help them out and you come alongside and he's in kindergarten and he needs to know that his strength is not to bully people, that his strength is to be used to build people up, to encourage them. Son, you have charisma. Man, people, you walk through the halls and they cheer and shout your name, that's great, but that's not for you. That's for you to be nice and kind, to help other people. And you begin to pour it in and you build up their love, acceptance, and watch. If you don't speak to their basic needs of belonging, acceptance, and love, and purpose, they will find it somewhere else. Now listen to me. When your kids begin to find friends that you're going, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're headed the wrong direction. You're finding friends and you're finding friends that don't line up with what we've taught you. Do you know why they're going after that? Because teenagers, for the most part, I will give you a 1% that I was a youth, a student pastor for eight years. I've watched this cycle happen over and over again. Students usually don't have enough wisdom to pick their own friends. Their friends pick them based on acceptance. And they go towards whoever accepts them. Unless there's a parent in there guiding and directing and saying, listen, choose your friends wisely. You choose. You don't let people choose you by accepting you. And they will go and your kids will go to whoever accepts them. And you'll have behavior problem after behavior problem. It's your job as parents If you're going to communicate and you want to communicate to their heart, you have to speak to their basic needs over and over and over and over and over and over until you don't want to speak about it again. And then you have to do it over and over. Do you hear that? It's your job because they will find love. They will find acceptance. They will find belonging and they will find purpose away from God and away from you and away from what you're teaching every time because their heart is prone to run. And it's your job to bring them back to the grace of God and the cross of Calvary over and over again. The last thing is this. The last that we have to work on and that we need to work through if we're gonna communicate heart to heart is being present. Being present. John chapter five and verse 19. That sounds so simple, doesn't it? John 15, or 5, 19 through 20. Here's what it says. Whatever the Father does, These things the Son also does. This is Jesus and the Heavenly Father interacting. So it says, whatever the Heavenly Father does, these these things the Son, Jesus does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son, and he shows him all things that he himself is doing. Isn't it interesting to see your kids look like you? Isn't it interesting to see your kids look like your, your, your spouse? 
Isn't it really interesting when you spend time with your kids and as you spend time with your kids, the next thing you know, they start saying phrases and words that you say. Uh Uh-oh, good or bad. And they usually pick up those bad ones real quick, don't they? And then then, then all of a sudden you start seeing, hey, don't look at me like that. That's disrespectful. And they're smirking at you. And then your wife says, hey, Heath, you smirk like that. I don't smirk. She's like, yeah, you do. And that's, they start giving you the same looks and they start raising their eyebrows the same way. Holy cow. And here's what happens. It says the heavenly father loves his son and has showed him everything that the father was doing. And then the son begins to emulate what the father's doing. Being present. Being present is how your kids begin to really truly emulate you where you're showing them and you're walking with them and you're doing life with them. A few years ago, I read a book called Man in the Mirror. It's a, it's a great book. I don't know, if, men, if you haven't read it, I would encourage you, Man in the Mirror by Patrick Morley. There's a phrase in here that he says, and it so hit me and convicted me, and I wanted to walk through this. I was a teenager at the time. I mean, I, a, uh, I was a student pastor at the time, and I was dealing with students. I had students in the youth ministry whose, whose parents were making millions of dollars, and I had students in the ministry who were gangs in the gangs and coming out of the gangs. We were dealing with major diversity and major differences, and I read this quote, and it applied to students who had wealth and students who didn't have wealth, and here's what it says. The average daily time, quote, the average daily time each dad spends with his kids was... 37 seconds a day. An average of 2.7 daily encounters of 10 to 15 seconds each for a total of 37 seconds a day. That includes dads who are making lots of money and that includes dads who are not even present at all. 37 seconds. And I began to say, there's no way, I can't believe that. And I began to even look at my life and I started watching even how I interacted and you know, there's so many times when you have to have the early meetings. Then you add, add on top of that, you have all the meetings in the evenings. And then you add all the, all the, on top of that, you have to add all the extra work that you have to take home. And you start looking at your schedule and you start looking at their bedtime. When they, we say, we have to have our kids in bed at seven. We have to have our kids in bed at eight. And you realize that you didn't get home till six or seven yourself. And then all you're doing is kissing them and sending them to bed. Parents, if you want to communicate heart to heart, you have to be present. It will not happen just by having, quote, quality time. Quality time comes out of quantity time. You have to have the quantity time in order to have the quality time. It requires you being present. Please hear me. I want you to have great kids, and I want you to have great grandkids, and it's going to require you to be present. I read a story that hit deep down in my heart. The U.S. ambassador to Great Britain, his name was Charles Adams. He was under the Lincoln administration, the Abraham Lincoln administration, Charles Adams, U.S. ambassador to Great Britain. He took his son, who was eight years old, Brooks Adams, fishing one day. He's eight years old. He takes his son fishing And both of them, when they got home that night, they wrote in their diary. The eight-year-old had a diary and the dad had a diary. He's a busy man. He's a respectable man. He's a successful man. 
And here's what his eight-year-old son wrote. Went fishing with my dad, with my father. The most glorious day of my life, end quote. It makes you smile, doesn't it? To think about those moments, those times. And then here's what his dad wrote. Went fishing with my son. A day wasted. Your greatest, your greatest achievement in life is not your success in your career, but in your legacy of your kids and grandkids. And you can fight it and you can do it any other way, but you only have this moment for this time, for this day, and it will not last forever. And if you are a grandparent, you only have this moment and this time with those grandkids. Do not waste it. It is my job and it's your job to take this moment to communicate heart to heart. Can it be done? Yes, through the power of the Holy Spirit. You use God-honoring words. You begin to say, okay, we are going to satisfy those basic needs. We're gonna walk through it. I'm going to do my best to be present. And you just turn it over to God and say, God, I pray that you bring the hearts together, my heart to my kids and my kids' hearts to me. And you watch the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Okay.